So we continue our series on escaping escapism. I think it's one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that we have uh, as people, Christians, as we uh, live in this world. I think of most people, um, life can be difficult, and uh, sometimes the real world is, is a hard thing. It seems overwhelming, and so uh, we have lots of avenues uh, to kind of check out and to kind of get our minds off of things. And uh, the problem with that, of course, is that reality doesn't stop when we do, and it's still out there. And it just, uh, you know, we, we have to vent- eventually enter into it again. And sometimes if we're unprepared or we've been ignoring things, it just gets worse. Um, and so diving into our cell phones, into an app, or into movies, or to books, or to sleep, or whatever it is that we will do to escape reality is small living. It's not what God has called us to and so... Uh, we want to make sure we escape that trap and so we can live the full lives that God has given us. And that hopefully it's been helpful this series. We've looked at uh, some of the ways that we do that by uh, making sure that Christ is at the center, that, uh, that we can worship God with our time, that we can uh, not just worship God with the, uh, the ethereal things like time that he's given us, but actually with the purposes that he's given us, such things like family, how, uh, actually investing into our families and, and fulfilling our roles in there, how that gives us great purpose and, and joy in life, or uh, friendships, as we talked about that. And today we talk about one that a lot of people might be shocked about, because this is the one thing that I think causes a lot of people want to escape, and that's work. <laughs> but did you know that actually work is something that can be uh, sanctified, something that God has given us. It can be a very a, a wonderful thing. In fact, it can be one of the purposes that we can live for that helps us to not want to escape from. And speaking of work, uh, I figured I didn't want to say it at the very beginning because some of y'all aren't punctual. You're not here at the very beginning of the service. <laughs> not pointing at anybody, but uh, <laughs> but I do announcements then. Uh, but I held off. We, we do have at the church, we also work here. I don't, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like it, but it's wonderful to get to minister to you and all of that. But, um, but the work of ministry is a great jo- uh, thing to do. And I think we all agree Jesse does a fantastic job leading us in worship. But we know that uh, as we brought him on, that God has called him to be a, uh, a lead pastor who wants to draw him up into that. So as a church, we've been um, helping him and in helping him grow into uh, learning how to uh, prepare for eventually someday uh, being able to lead a church into that. And so part of that is we've had to make the difficult decision of moving him away from worship. And so he's going to be helping lead our family ministries and things like that. But that created an enormous gap here because you don't want me leading worship because... That would be distracting. That would be bad work. It's not what I was created for. And uh, so we've been looking, and we've for about a year um, been asking you to pray for uh, somebody that, that God would lead us the right person. And we've worked with Shepherd Staff, which has helped uh, bringing on pastor things. And we found a guy uh, named Colin and his wife, Rachel, and we brought them out here. And you were so kind to him that they wanted to come back. And uh, so uh, we offered him the position, and we waited and waited, and yesterday, apparently the day before, but I had a football game uh, <laughs> that I was coaching, so I didn't see that. So he called yesterday before wedding and said that he and Rachel would be thrilled to be able to come and to join us and to work here on our staff. And so, what, yes, so I want to thank you for your prayers and that. But now I'm going to talk to him on Monday about all the details and getting out here, but in advance, this is important work to do, and I ask that you would be praying for him and Rachel as they make that change. And, and all of this. But but the thing is, is that sometimes we think, well, then, of course, working for a church, that's something that's going to be sanctified, right? That's going to be something I'm working for God. But you know that uh, actually God has work for all of us, even those who are retired. 
even those who don't get a paycheck for what they do, that God has given us work, and work is something that is good. And so we want to make sure that we approach work, which we spend the majority of our life doing things. In fact, the least happy people in the world are those who don't have anything to do, right? So we approach work, and we need to do this in such a way that we're not uh, using work as a form of escapism, which I think a lot of people can do. Just as much as, as many people in America want to escape work, they want vacations, they want to retire, right? A lot of times we use work or our activities or the things that we do as a way of escaping our life. That and we want to make sure that we put work in its right place, because when it's in its right place, then we live according to the purpose God has given to us. It really fills us in a great way. And that goes to our anchor verse for the series, which is Ephesians 5.15. And this applies even to work. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, right? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And a lot of you understand that. When you're at work, some days just feel evil. But here's the other thing here. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Do you know that between your, your years of 18 to 70 years old, most people spend the majority of their time, more than any other place, even in their bed, they spend working, right? And so there's a lot of many opportunities. And so if we're going to make the most of every opportunity, it also means the, what we're doing as we work. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to take us back to the beginning, because that's a good place to start. And talk about well, what does God design work for? And how do we put it in its space so that way we can live according to the purpose of what God made work for so it's not something we escape from or escape to? And so if you wouldn't mind, join me in Genesis chapter 1. That's going to be at the very beginning of your Bible. In fact, probably just on page 1 is where you want to be in your Bible. That's an easy place to find. So the answer to the question, how do we make work something purpose-filled that draws us into living the reality God has given us to to make the most of every opportunity, you're going to find it here. In fact, the first three chapters of Genesis really give us the, um, the first chapter is kind of like an overview, how God created everything. Second chapter kind of zooms in on humanity and what's our place in that. Third chapter is how did it all get messed up, right? And then there's the rest of the Bible. So that's where we look in there. And, and I think it's amazing that we find work in all three of those chapters, it, it tells us something about the, the place of work in our lives. And, and so we, we find uh, in Genesis 1.26, God has, has made everything else, and then he contemplates what comes next. And he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, get this, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, God wanted to make us in his image so that, here's the purpose, we can work. Well, that's a fascinating thing. So he goes on to say, so God created mankind in his own image. He says, it's a great idea, so I'm going to do it. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female both have work. Get this. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. So he made us in his image for the purpose of working. And then he gives us this very first command, have a family, be fruitful, multiply, right? And then work, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, rule over every living creature that moves along the ground. The first command that God has given us had two parts. Family, that's a great purpose. That's what he designed us in. Adam and Eve were made in his image, in the image of God. He created a male and female, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh, right? He made us in family. 
tells us to have kids in family. That's good. But then also work. This blew my mind when I caught this. Because when I grew up, I thought that work was a curse. <laughs> right? It was the thing that you had to do until you, fortunately, eventually, if you were wise, wouldn't have to do it anymore. It's what you did until you had your day off. It's what you did until you got a vacation. It's, it's, it's the, it was the grind that you just, the poor suckers who have to work, and I was one of them. That, that God didn't create work. People created work. That, that's what I thought. And then, then I read this. Totally changed my, my whole perspective on, on the nature of, of what work is and what we're designed to do. Now, this uh, this command that we see here tells us something really important is that we were designed for work it's part of who we are that's why in ss park i don't know if you've ever noticed this but sometimes people move here into this community to retire it happens once in a while <laughs> and as they do there's two paths that they can go on one path leads to a quick grave and the other one leads to a long life of happiness the path that leads to a quick grave are the people who come here to escape and then they disconnect from everything and they stop living and they start dying and they die quickly. The other path is people who come here and recognize that, that their work now has changed. Right? That, that this is a new life and now they have new things and they start living and they start engaging into the things that God has put on their hearts and, and I tell you what, they start to have an enormously Im impactful lives and, and do great things. And there's a reason for that, is that when we don't have something to do, we are dying inside because we were designed to work. It's who we are. It says, in the beginning, God created us in his image, and as he was contemplating it, the first thing, the reason he created us, the design was to look like him, to be like him, so that we could continue the, his work on this world, to be his representatives, to bear his image. So God designed and commissioned humanity with work in our soul. It's who we are. It's not something to escape from. And so in chapter 2, I told you it was in chapters 1, 2, and 3 work. It says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work. That's not what all what I thought the Garden of Eden was. I thought the Garden of Eden was the giant vacation. Well, you go to paradise. When I go to paradise, I don't want someone to give me a hoe and a shovel, right? But to work. He put him there in paradise. This was before the fall, by the way. And notice that this was not employment. God didn't say, Adam, I'm going to pay you paradise. I'm going to pay you this amount so you can do this labor. It's not employment. Work is not employment. Work is, is doing the things that God has called us to do. It's using our gifts and our abilities and our time, our effort. It's investing them and to produce something. And we were all designed to have that productivity, all of us. So sometimes we get paid for being productive. Some people get paid to not be productive, and that drives me nuts. <laughs> but the reality is that all of us have something to do. If you are breathing right now, there is something productive God has for you. He designed you for it. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It tells us that Genesis is not just about Adam and Eve. It's not just about the beginnings. But this also applies to us. That you were created and crafted by God, get this, for good works. 
He didn't design you to do lousy things. He made you perfectly. And this is also very humbling because um, me, I've always had a pretty good self-esteem. I can just believe I can do things. Maybe I shouldn't believe I should do things, right? But as much as well, but I've always had this. But then one day, as I was reading this, it dawned on me that every gift that God has given me, he gave me in the perfect measure that he needed me to have to do the work he wanted me to do. What does that mean? Well, do you know that there are certain pastors out there who aren't able to preach as good as me? (laughs) Shocking. Didn't shock me at all. I work really hard at this, this craft. And I had a lot of pride in that until I realized that God didn't make me a better preacher than somebody else because he loved me more than them. He gave me exactly what I needed so that I could minister to you. And you know what? He didn't love them less is that he gave them exactly the measure of the gifting they needed to serve the churches where they're at. And this was also humbling me. Do you know there's preachers out there that are better than me? I know. Don't go look for them. It won't be hard to find them. They're good. They're phenomenal. I listen to their sermons. I'm like, wow, that's amazing, right? Some of them, I even read their sermons. They're from, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100, 200 years ago, and they still have their sermons. Like, these guys were amazing. And you read their, their sermon, you're like, wow, how amazing. And sometimes I could read those, and I would feel very small, like maybe God loved me less than them. But then I realized that I was created perfectly by God to serve you. Not more, not less. And you know that's the same for you. There are some people who are more athletic. There are some people who are less athletic. There are some people who are better at math. There are some people that are not as good as math. There are some people that are really good with people. There are some people that are not as good with people, right? There are some people who are good with administration, and others just can't hardly find their shoes in the morning, right? But you know what? God designed you perfectly, not because he loves somebody else more or he rewards those he loves more with greater giftings, but he has crafted you perfectly to do the work he designed for you to do. And my garage is a great illustration of this. I have in my garage screwdrivers that I actually use to work, and I have screwdrivers that were given to me as gifts that are really nice. You know, like all plated with nice things and all really good. I can't have, like, those ones are gorgeous to show, but they're not going to be strong. They're not going to be the ones I'm going to grab when I want to do something, right? I have a hammer in my garage that was given to me as a present. It's a beautiful hammer. I'm never going to use that hammer, right? It's too pretty. I've got other hammers that are all, you know, rusty and perfect, and I know how they feel in my hand, and they're just, those are the ones I grab. But it doesn't mean I don't like the nice ones. I do like them. They make it look like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) All of us have things that were designed for different purposes. You have fine china. Probably you're waiting for the king to come over. It's a king now, right? (laughs) For the king to come over. And you could set that out. And you'll probably never use it for anything else. But there it is. But you're ready. And then you have your regular dinner plates. They're all designed. Like, wouldn't it be horrible if only had china? Because then you'd have broken dishes all the time. But it wouldn't be lousy if you only had regular dinner plates and didn't have something special when guests would come over? You see, God designed us each perfectly for the task he has created us to do. And the task he's created you to do, he's crafted you for, is good. Your work is good. It's valuable to him. In fact, when we get to the kingdom of heaven, God's not going to look at me and say, Aaron, how big was your church? He's going to say, how faithful were you? Did you fulfill the task I gave you to do? That's what he's going to ask me. 
And he's going to ask you the same thing with the gifts and abilities and all the things that he's designed for you to do. Did you do the good works that he's crafted you to do? Which is why we need to make the most of every opportunity. It's why we have to be wise. Well, you say, Aaron, well, that's wonderful that you say all that. But then why is it, if I was made to do good works, and work is this amazing blessing that we were designed for, why is work such a miserable thing? Why is it that we long for the weekend or the vacations or, or retirement? Why does it often feel like, like work is the thing I want to escape from? Well, because work has been corrupted and cursed. That's why. That's the chapter 3 of Genesis. That's the part we don't like, but this is the reality that we live within. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. That's the devil. And the Lord God made, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. You will certainly, not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, get this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation was what she would get from it, right? To be like God, to be able to choose for herself what's right and wrong. And so it says the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And their eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig tree leaves together and made covering for themselves. And Adam said, because you have listened to your, oh. and uh, to Adam, this is God saying, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat the food from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Uh, you will eat plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat their food, and you will return to the ground since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and dust you will return. Now that's the story of the fall. First you have Adam and Eve eating the tree. The, 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 why did they eat it? Because they wanted to be like God. They, that was corrupted work. They were supposed to care for the garden, and instead of caring for the garden, doing, t- treating the garden the way God told them to treat it, enjoy all of the fruit, right? Subdue the animals, take care of the things, take care of my trees. Just don't eat from this one poison tree, right? Be, be loyal to me. Don't do that. What did they do? They said, we're going to do not that. We're going we're gonna to take the power over the garden into our own hands. We want to be like you, choosing for ourselves what is right and wrong. We're going to put ourselves in the center, right? Our work is not centered around you. God is around us. What we want to say is right and wrong. We want to do that. We corrupted work. And then God cursed it. He took Adam aside and said, because you did this, you're going to have some problems at work. In fact, from... Work's going to be frustrating for you. Work's going to be a painful for you. Work is going to be, uh, it, it, there's not going to be any uh, security in your work. That you're going to work really hard and by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eke out a living. And why? Well, why did God curse it? Because we corrupted it. That's why God is not going to pay or finance our rebellion. He's not going to do it. He's like, you want to take this world away from me? You want to pretend that you're God? You want to be like me and try to run things according to your own wisdom? I will let you do that. But I'm not going to bless it. 
And so work stopped being, when we took God out of the center of work, when we stopped working according to the things that God has designed us to do, and we started doing things our own way, or how we wanted to, well, the wheels kind of came off the bus. Work became something, instead of that was life-giving, it became life-sucking. That's why we so much look forward to the weekends. That's why we love vacation. That's why we love escaping work, so many of us. It was something that became a grind instead of something that built us up. Work stopped being good for many. And for a lot of years, it's been that way. I think the other side, though, is true. Sometimes we put ourselves, we get enough power in the middle of the garden, right? We, we take God's, what he designed for us. He crafted us to do good works. We're like, God, I don't want to do those good works that you want to do because that doesn't benefit me enough right now in this particular moment. So I'm going to live my life for me. I'm going to escape into work. I'm going to make this particular part of the garden everything that I'm going to live for. And then the garden sucks our soul. It becomes everything. And then we lose our families. We lose our friendships. And we lose all the purposes of living. It's, it, it's out of balance. The world spins out of control when we take Christ out of the center. That's just the way it's always been. This is why work is hard sometimes. It's why it has this temptation to either destroy us and we want to escape from it, or has this allure that we want to just dive into it and and make it something that it was never supposed to be. We're neither to worship work, nor are we to run from it in fear. And but where is most of humanity? Isn't this where most of us live? either workaholics or those who do everything we can, we work so that we don't have to? Well, you know what? There's a better way. This is not the way that God designed us to be. There's a reason it feels wrong. It should feel wrong. That, that, that this is not the order in which that we were supposed to have. In fact, I think it should show us that according to human wisdom, if we want to just look at our work according to our way of thinking, it never works out for us. Which is part of the good news of the gospel. Right? The, the gospel is not just about having a new, like being saved, even though you're a stinker, right? God is going to save you. That's great. That is really good news. But that's not the only good news in the gospel. The best news in the gospel is that God, he restores our whole lives. And part of that is at work. In fact, we see that God redeems work through the gospel. That God didn't just abandon this big part of our design, and said, well, I'm going to save you from your sins, but I'm not going to redeem your work. He didn't do that. That Jesus came to, to give us a real full life today. That we understand when Jesus said that he was ushering in his kingdom, it's not just when we're waiting for the skies to part. That's, the, that's when everything's finally done. We look forward to that. But he also said he was instilling his kingdom here and now. That we get to live according to a different way, a different pattern of life. That's why as Christians... Yes, we're still sinners, but God is now writing his law into our hearts. He's giving us a new way to exist, that we don't have to wait to the hereafter to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, that there are good things that we can do. And part of that, and this is really good news for us, is he can redeem our work today, even now. Look at this promise, Genesis 3.15. This was before God cursed work. He gave the promise that he was eventually going to undo it. He says this, and he's talking to the serpent. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and uh, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, that seemed very strange for them, probably, like, you know, just snake, you step on it. That's the idea. But well, that's exactly what Jesus did when he came to this world. 
He destroyed the power of Satan, right? Crushed him, and it obviously hurt, right? The cross was not a pleasant thing, but it didn't destroy him. And so we find that there was this first, this promise for the gospel that we waited thousands of years as humans to say, when, how is God going to do this? But the promise is of a redeemer. It's going to destroy the devil, and that was going to be part of his work, good work. And so Jesus predicted that he's going to redeem or destroy the devil. He's going to redeem not just humanity, but I think part of it is this, he's going to destroy the work of what the devil had done. And part of that was destroying our understanding of work. Second Corinthians, New Testament, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to chapter 5, because then it talks about how Jesus did this. In fact, in the context of Second Corinthians, chapter 5, the writer of Corinthians, Paul, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, happens to be talking about the redeemed work of Christ. That God himself, who is a worker, came to earth, put on skin, and this is his work that he had amongst us, and it's the work of reconciliation. That's what it's talking about. This is what Jesus has done in his good works. And in this work of reconciliation, he talks about that we get to be the benefit of Christ's work. Right? And then he so goes on to say in verse 14, for Christ's love now compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. The first work that Christ does in reconciliation, dying for us, was to free us from the poison of Eden. What was the poison of Eden? was putting us in the center. We lived for ourselves. We did what we wanted. We wanted to know what was right and wrong. We wanted to be like God so we wouldn't have to follow him. We put ourselves in the center. We made work and our whole lives selfish. And the very first thing that Jesus does in his good work is prize us out of that center and puts God back in there. Isn't that amazing? That's the work of Christ. That's reconciliation happens when God is restored to the center of our being when we stop being so selfish. It's a vital recentering that changes everything. Because when we were in the center, when I make my world around me, right? I make my relationships, my families, everything about what benefits me, and it's all about me, 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 right? I go to war with everybody, right? I, 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 I use other people for my own purposes. And here's the thing, as I know that I'm not worthy of being worshipped, and my world falls apart, and the world does fall apart. Right? Think about most of the arguments you have in, in, in your homes, with families and things like this, or most of the people at work who drive you nuts, selfishness. They're doing what they want, what they think is best for them all the time. That's how our world operates. In fact, there's this, this idea that I'm going to look out for number one. Yeah, you better look out for number one because if it's you, you're in trouble. What Jesus did for us is he allows us, he died on a cross, he did God's work, which meant that he actually wasn't centering on himself. He was centering on God the Father, his will. And because of that, we were benefited and he was benefited. He set an example for us. He put God back in the center of all things. And now he invites us into a new way of life that has Christ at the center of all things. And I want you to notice then how in this chapter, how the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to show us how this affects work. He shows us that we begin by God doing his work of restoring Christ at the center of all things. Now look at verse 18. It says, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now get this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's work. 
that God now has given us a new work that represents, that, that reflects Christ's work. That, that, get this, you now work for God. If you are in the kingdom, you have a new boss. Before, you work for yourself. That was the curse, right? By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eke out a living. Not, you're going to work for yourself, for your own living, for your own your best. That's what God said. That's what you want to do. You corrupted work and you made it about you. Fine. It's all going to be about you. And has that worked well for us? No. But now, now, part of the gospel is you don't have to work for you anymore because you're a lousy taskmaster. You are. You are insatiable. But God is now your, your boss. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. My true employer is God Almighty. And I get to work for Him because I'm centering my life on Him. It's not Aaron's ways. It's God's ways now. This is my primary profession. All things that I do, when I remember when I was an electrician, when I was a banker, when I was a student, right, as a pastor, all of it, ministry of reconciliation, that is my major employment, and it is yours too. 2 Corinthians 5.20, just two verses later, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making an appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the main thing that my life, this is why I didn't get zapped to heaven the moment I made a profession of faith. It's why it's like in the baptismal, it's not like a, a teleporter, like people make a profession of faith and I baptize them and poof, they're gone. Why does God make us stick around on this broken world once we're saved? Got work for us to do. And that work isn't tending a garden any longer, it's a ministry of reconciliation. How will the world know how great God is if all the people who know how great God is are gone? But you're here, and you've experienced his grace. You've experienced God running to you even when you were the sinner. You've experienced that joy. You've experienced his, his kindness, his mercy. And so we have this ministry. It doesn't matter what I do for a job or even if I have a job. I have this work to do. And so as a pastor, I hope that I help draw people closer to Jesus, although we'll see that there are some pastors who haven't fulfilled their job very well, and they drive people from Jesus. That's not good. So it's not the position that matters. Uh, there, is, is, like, there are people, I think of like, uh, look at some of those stay-at-home moms. What an important job that is. And how many of those women have created the, and grown the kingdom of God massively because they took their work seriously? How many dads who go to work and, and have important jobs and because they work hard and they, they provide for their families, they do all those things, but because they don't escape to work, they put God at the center, they also love their wives and their children, right? and they tell them about the Lord and they make sure they come, I mean, to church. And How much of a difference does that make for generations? You see, we all have a ministry of reconciliation, all of us. And so we see here that this is, we get to work for God. But we don't just get to work for God. This part was humbling to me and wonderful. In chapter 6, it says this, as God's co-workers, what? God is my co-worker? Like, I don't just work for God, I work with God, right? And so I'm working with God, I'm doing God kind of stuff like he's called me to do alongside him. It says, we urge you to receive, not to receive God's grace in vain. Like, I work with God. Now, you'd look at people who have really cool co-workers, and they're sometimes impressive. 
right? If you're, you know, if you're working with an astronaut, people are like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You're working with the vice presidents of a particular thing. You're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You work with God. I don't, whatever position you have on this earth, you work with God. If you are a part of his kingdom, here's your coworker, that's pretty impressive, which means that you're going to be well supplied, right? HR cares a lot about your department. You're going to have all of the benefits that you need, all of the support that you need because you're working with God himself. It's like, have you ever seen those undercover boss uh, TV shows? The big boss comes down and he spends some time with the people he employs, right? And sometimes they're just shocked by like their work environment at the place that where they're working. They're like, wow, I need to support my people more. God's not like that because he's already down here working with us. He knows exactly what we need. He's with us in the trenches, and he's helping us do the work. He's with you. So it's not as though we say to God, well, if you knew what it was like to be a person without any kind of help, that you would understand I would need more help. He's like, I'm with you. In fact, he said, I'm, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you to the very end of the age is what he said. In fact, the Holy Spirit moves in with you physically into your body. Once you are a Christian, God is with you. He understands and he's also supporting you. And God is gifting you to be able to be successful in the good works he's called you to do right now. Sometimes that's been your employment. Sometimes it's your work outside of employment. But for all of us, we are working with God. That changes my perspective as to my life. Because sometimes we think, well, God just uses the big people, the pretty people, the ones that he's given all the extra talent, money, and position to. God's at work in your life, and you are perfectly positioned like no one else, perfectly crafted to do the good works he's prepared in advance you to do, and he's working with you to make sure they get done. Wow. So why is it that sometimes as Christians, then we miss out on this? Why is it that you can see really good Christians sometimes live these lives where they kind of feel like they're spinning their tires, not going anywhere, not doing anything, living feelings for purposeless? Well, I think part of it is because we fail to live the gospel. We don't let God to, to, to undo the poison of, of Eden. We keep ourselves in the center, and then we wonder why our world doesn't feel right, why our work doesn't feel right, why, why things fall apart. The, the, the good news of the gospel is that we have the option, the opportunity. Now we can put Christ back in the center. And when we put Christ back in the center, right, and he's our boss, and he's our provider, and he's our coworker, right, then I recognize that I, he's also as my boss, he's going to provide for me. The things that I worried about under the curse, like I had to work so I could have food, right, so I could have a place to be, we're no longer under the curse. So as long as I'm putting Christ in the center and I'm working for him, look what Jesus said about this. He says, and don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink or, what you're, or worry about uh, for those things. For the pagans worry about and run after such things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you. That's for all of us. If, if you're working for yourself, if you keep yourself in the center, even as a Christian, God's not going to provide extra for you. He's like, good, good luck, uh, just like everybody else. He'll let you continue to provide for yourself. He's not going to be mean about it. But if you put Christ in the center, you say, Lord, I'm going to use the gifts, the abilities of time. I recognize that you've given me a ministry of reconciliation. You've given me the job that I have, the family that I have, the friends that I have, the community that I have, the church that I have. You've given me the gifts that I have. You've given me the opportunities that I have right now, and I want to center my life on you and use these for your purposes first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Well, then the, 
the da- damage part of the curse is, is, is gone. It, you, you have allowed the curse to be uncorrupted, so now it doesn't have to be, work doesn't have to be cursed, right? Work is no longer corrupted. It's not cursed then for the Christian, which is why when we follow after him and we do what God asks and we set our hearts on him, he provides. And it's not just an ethereal provision in the hereafter. He says here and now, like you're not going to worry about what you eat or what you drink, where you're going to wear. That's what we buy with money that we get from work. But now you don't. God is your employer and he's your coworker, and he provides for us. It's a different way of being. Does it mean that we stop going to our offices? No, because God provided those work, that, that employment for us. So we take advantage of those opportunities. But I don't work here at the church so that I can eat. I work for God. You know how that changes things? And this is for your benefit. I'm not going to tell you things that, I, that would only make you happy if I knew it was killing your soul. Like God is my boss. And so I can truly love you. Which means that if the economy is down and all the things are bad, I'm not going to be worried about is God going to provide for us. He's going to provide for us. I just need to be faithful. And he has me. He has my family. He has his church. And it's the same for you. You don't have to be worried any longer, eking out existence, trying to scrape an existence, to, uh, trying to survive for yourself, trying to manipulate the forces on the outside so that way your work will somehow allow you to have a little kingdom just enough to live in this world. The gospel allows us to enter the God's kingdom again, to recenter on him, to enjoy his provision as he does good work through us. So our work matters a lot. That's why Colossians 3.17 says, And so whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's not the work that you do, it's who you're working for. That's really what matters. Who's at the center? Who's at the center of your life? And you know what we talk about when we center something? That's called worship. Right? Like the, the earth worships the sun in a way, right? It's, it's the part of your life that has the most gravity, right? We're supposed to worship God with our time, that's the whole purpose of Sabbaths, why you come to church on Sundays, all those things, right? We worship God with our things, that's the whole point of the tithe, that's why it has to be the first, right? That's why we worship God, put him at the center of our, even our money, but also, do you know you're supposed to worship God with your abilities, with your work? That when we, we say to God, you crafted me for a reason, and I want to fulfill your purposes in my life more than anything else, right? Our life comes back into order, which is why one of the ways that we escape escapism is by worshiping God even with our work. And so for some, that's your employment. To realize that you are at your job because God has provided opportunity and you are there on purpose. But don't think for a second that your job is providing for your needs. God does that. So be faithful there. Pray for the people around you. Care for them. You have a ministry of reconciliation where you are. Some of you don't work for employ outside the home. Your, your work isn't for employment. Some of it might be in the home. Some of it might be, you might be retired, and so you have kids, or, or you might have grandkids, or you might have a community around you or a club. Whatever it is, you have effort. God has given you gifts and ability and opportunities. Don't waste your life just living for you. Live for him. Worship God with your talents, your abilities. Let him fulfill the good works inside of you. He'll take care of the rest of your needs. But the greatest part is when we do that, you're fulfilling this, this portion in you that you were designed for. It, you've come most fully alive. Not to, to s- you're going to find that this life is not something you want to escape from, but it's something that just resonates inside of you, fills you to the, to the fullest, right? And there is something amazing about doing what you were made to do. 
and God made you to do good things. So how do you put this into practice? Well, on your connection cards, a couple things. First of all, why don't you memorize Ephesians 5.15? I even put a, Caleb even put a connection, uh, a memory verse on the top of your connection card. So you could do that. Why? Because we need to remember that we need to make the most of every opportunity, right? To live as wise and not as unwise. We need to remember that, that, that today matters even with our work. So that sometimes the word of God is helpful for us. So memorize that. Something else, maybe you want to read 2 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. I preached on them briefly. Why don't you read them for yourself? It's great. You see the work of Christ and then how that changes your work as well. Something else you might want to commit to today is this. As you say, I'm going to really work as worship. Like my work, whatever it is, whether I'm employed or if I'm doing, doing things outside of being employed, whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing it for the glory of God. And really think about how you're living your life, how are you glorifying God, how you're fulfilling that ministry of reconciliation which he's given you. And here's something a little more practical, or I guess equally practical, but more specific. If you haven't joined it yet, help us build a deck. If you have some ability, even if you only have fancy tools, bring them. We can use them. But it's next Saturday. And we're going to build a deck for a family in our church that needs help on their deck. Right? God tells us to take care of widows and orphans. We're going to do it. And we need like five or six more guys or gals who are okay with swinging a hammer to be able to help us with that. If you want to help us with this, just write deck or just check that deck thing on there. And we'll make sure that we get you connected with our, uh, uh, with Phil. And uh, yeah, put your gifts and abilities to practice uh, to be able to, to serve one another the way that God calls us to. Okay, maybe there's something else God's called you to do. Put that on your connection card. That would be a great thing. And it's because I want to pray for you as you do it. But also, if you're here this morning and, and you haven't followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let him redeem your work. Let him redeem your life. Like Jesus came not just to give us a, a new life to save us from death, but to give us abundant life. Part of it is by restoring our work. And if you have not been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are missing out. You're still living under the corruption of the old system, the curse of the old system. Why on earth would you do that? Be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Allow your life to be recentered around him, and you're going to find the greatest purposes you ever could for living, not just here, but forever. This is the greatest thing. If you need to make that commitment, talk to me after the service. In fact, we even have a Baptist uh, Baptist thing out today, so you can even be baptized, which is a great commitment to be born again as a way of expressing our faith. So if you need to make that decision, let me know. Uh, but for all of us, let's make commitments to follow the Lord and to center our lives on him, worshiping him, even with our work. Let's pray as you make these commitments. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, for your love, and for your ministry of reconciliation, that you called us out of this darkness into the light of truth, that you saved us from meaningless work, from the curse, Father, from the corruption of selfishness. Lord, we, we want to enter in in a greater way and to us, uh, into a, a better orbit in our lives to center around you. So for all of us, I pray, Father, that you would encourage us by how you designed us, that you would shape our lives, help us to center you more and more, and maybe in these commitments that we make to help draw us into that place where you are really, truly at the center. If there is anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to you, Lord, and save them from themselves, save them for you, save them for, for good works which you prepared in advance from their view. Help us to fulfill these, these commitments that we've made today to bring you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name.